0: Here in John 10, I'm going to start in verse 11 here in just a second. I was thinking this week, I don't know that I've ever in my entire life won a game of Simon Says. And now why you ask why I'm thinking about that, because um, those are deep thoughts. You know, you got to go back. And I was thinking, I don't remember ever winning a game of Simon Says. I also don't believe i've ever and i've talked about this i think last time i spoke i'm I'm not great with directions good at getting lost i'm not good at following directions i'm that guy that like if you send me a text of where to go i'm reading along and it says all right take a left on main and so i'm looking for main i'm looking for main and it says if you hit the railroad tracks you've gone too far every time i read that i hit the railroad tracks like that anybody else like that 's me i always i 'm always getting lost i 'm not great at following directions i 'm also not good at just following in general um, when I was in high school, I did competitive speech and debate should not shock any of you um, and we did this thing called a one act play, which is a play in only one act, as the name suggests, and we had to Load up all of our set and everything, and we had to drive it north of north of downtown. And I was in my dad's big red truck. It's parked next door. If you need to see it, if you need to, as you're driving home, you can see it. A big red truck, massive truck. Um, and I was 16, 17 years old, and, and I was asked to drive this truck up there with all of our set and all this kind of stuff. We did our thing. I believe Dana was directing this one. I think um, I was the lead actor. Not bragging. Just just wanted to give you the facts. Um, and uh, so we did, our, we did our thing, it was awesome, and we tore down our set, and we're getting ready to go home, and I remember I'm following a Suburban, okay, following a Suburban, because I, this is my first time ever being north of downtown. I didn't know there was a north of downtown. I thought the world ended downtown. And so we go north, and I'm in this whole new Christopher Columbus mode, and we're driving back south following the suburban, and we get to downtown where, like, you've got 19 different ways to go, and it goes up and over and around and through and up and this way. And there was more than one suburban. There was. I'm not sure why. It's rude. Um, And so we were following what we thought was the correct suburban in fact, it was not the correct suburban. And we end up in a part of Kansas City where I had never been before. It's one of the few times in my life I've been the minority in a community. Um, also, fun fact, we wanted to leave really quick and get home, so we were still wearing our stage makeup. Stage makeup, it's for the performance. Stop judging. You guys are the worst. And we set our stage makeup on in this big red truck, two very Caucasian gentlemen in a not-Caucasian community following a suburban that was not the one we were supposed to be following, taking lefts and rights and lefts and rights and probably making that person very, very nervous. (laughs) And we call, I don't even remember who we were following, but I call them, thank God for cell phones, and they directed me back. And I was like, please, no, no, you can't just give me the directions. You have to stay on the line with me. So I get back to 71. I know where I'm going I'm not good at following. So when Jesus says that his sheep follow him, I'm like, oh, good. That's just perfect for me. And then Mark says, hey, you want to preach? I'm like, yes, always. How about the good shepherd? Oh, sure. I can teach that one and talk about how I'm not good at following. I'm just not. You give me the directions. I'm even the guy, like, I've learned. Okay, men, I'll give you my man card after church. I'm the guy who opens the box and finds the directions first because I'm not handy, but I'm also not good at following directions. So the fact that anything in our house has ever been built ever is due to my wife. She's a saint. She builds things for me. I don't build nor follow directions. But today we're going to learn that we're not just following directions. We're not just following a list of rules. We're not just following a list of expectations. We're following a person. And he's a person worth following. And he's not going to lead you to places you no, that's not true. He might lead you to places you don't want to go. But they're always going to be better than you could have ever imagined. So for in John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So, a lot of times when I when I give messages, and when you read Christian books, and you listen to pastors speak, they say we're going to go through the four of these, or the six of these, or the ones, the two of this. I want to just walk through this section of verses, this, this passage, and just highlight some of the key words. And if you caught it, they're already highlighted for you up there. Um, I wanted to make sure you caught those. And we're just gonna go through those. And I, want you, I wanna help us understand what each of these things mean and why it's important. Because Jesus says a lot in these verses. And sometimes when Jesus says a lot of things really quickly, I get lost. And so I want to make sure that we're not getting lost. So the first thing we're gonna look at is these hired hands he talks about. The main focal point that Jesus is trying to make is to contrast himself from the Pharisees that 's the whole point of the, this, this conversation because Mark talked last week about Jesus being the gate or the door, and this all in John ten, but in John nine we find this really interesting story of this blind beggar who was born blind and Jesus comes and he heals him by, I'm pretty sure it's the, the the time he puts mud in his eyes, which Jesus, you do you. Um, and it's this really interesting passage of scripture because the, the Pharisees bring this man to him and said, are you the blind beggar? And he's like, yeah, I am. Were you born blind? And he's like, I think so. And so they get his parents, you know, like you know, you do with kids, like a kid's telling you the story and you're like, ah, let me get mom and dad. So they get mom and dad, mom and dad come and they're like, so is is this your son? Yes, this is my son. Was he born blind? Yes, who healed him? I don't know, but I know he was born blind and now he's not. And so the Pharisees kicked them out because they didn't like their answer. Bring the guy back in and 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 criticize him and critique him again and says, and they say, was it Jesus who healed you? Do you know where he is? And he says, I love this line. He says, I don't know where he is, why do you want to be one of his disciples too? Don't say that to a Pharisee. If you ever meet a Pharisee, don't say that. And they lost their minds and they cast him out. And cast him out doesn't mean like, hey, get out of the synagogue. It's like, hey, get out of our community. It's like, no, no, you're not. It's not that you're just not welcome here at HCC. You're not welcome in Harrisonville. Just go. You're gone. You you're, you are dead to us. You are gone. And Jesus finds him again. And he meets the Pharisees and he says, I'm the gate. And then he talks about being the good shepherd. And he's saying, this is what you guys are doing. And this is who I am. Last week, he referred to them as thieves and robbers. And this time they're hired hands. And he says very clearly, the hired hands cared nothing for the sheep. The only reason they're in it is for the money, the fame, the prestige. A shepherd Biblically is supposed to provide and protect and to lead and to love. Provide and protect to lead and to love. And the Pharisees were doing none of those. They continued to add things on to their followers, continue to add things on because the Mosaic law had a bunch of things that you were supposed to do and then there were the traditions that were added on to it. In Mark, you see one where um, Jesus had fed 5,000 and was healing people and uh, then they come up to him and they're like, hey, 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 Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Jesus is like, what do you do? And that's your tradition. This isn't in the law. I just fed 5,000, i feed 4,000 in a little bit. Like, you're missing the point. And they were. They were missing the point completely. And they should have known the point. Let's jump back to the book of Ezekiel real quick in the Old Testament. Ezekiel after Lamentations, before Daniel. I had to look that up. Don't judge me. Ezekiel 34. Because unfortunately, there's some times in my life that I kind of connect with the Pharisees. Unfortunately, because they tend to be the bad guys in the story. But I connect with them here because they had the information and they just missed it. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel These Pharisees would have known this section of verses. But sometimes I can be like the Pharisees and I'll use me as an example because you're better Christians than I am. you hear a message and like you, you either look down the row at somebody in your family like, this is for you. Or like when someone's not here, you like, you text them like, hey, jump online, listen to this message. It's good, which is code for you need to hear this. But very rarely do we like, do I sit there and go like, oh, that's for me. Like, I'm so, I just missed it. I missed it. I missed it so bad. God, forgive me for missing it. And especially because if you let your eyes jump down to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravens and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." There there they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. And that's what Jesus is saying. I left it to you, Pharisees. I, I, I left you my people. And there's not many things that get Jesus as riled up as when you mess with his people. It's like a good dad. When you begin to mess with his family, he gets a little upset. And that's Jesus here. He's saying, guys, guys, I've given you my people and you're ruining it. You're using them. You're hurting them. That's why I love after Jesus' resurrection, he sits down with Peter, who's the leader of this first church. And Peter had blown it, said he didn't know Jesus three different times, even cursed at a young lady saying he didn't. And they gather on a beach. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? God, Jesus, you know all things. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep. One of the biggest things that God asks of shepherds is to take care of the sheep. But the Pharisees are simply being hired hands. Then he goes on to a very powerful powerful statement he says I know my own and my own know me and we love this we love to be known I love to be known I love the verses that tell me that God knows when I stand up and when I sit down and when I lie down I love that God knows my every thought which makes prayer so much easier because he already knows what I'm going to ask even before I ask it He knows my heart, the good and the bad, and yet he loves me anyway. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows me, and that is amazing to me that God sees me as worth knowing. I want you to hear that this morning, some of you this morning. God sees you as worth knowing. The creator of all things, the creator of the universe, and and the beautiful skies, and the sunsets, and the sunrises, and the power of the ocean, he says, "You're worth knowing, and to know is greater than an intellectual understanding. To know is a, is a term of intimacy; it's a term of a term of connection. Jesus knows our nature, and He knows us. He knows us universally and individually." That's what I think is so amazing because God is all-knowing and I don't know why this amazes me that I know he's all-knowing but he knows the, the culture of every church and he knows the culture of every family inside the church and he knows every person inside those families inside of his church and he knows everything about them and, and you see that the Jesus did the same thing that he led his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles differently because they all had different personalities. Peter was outgoing and outspoken. He's my kind of man. Then you had Thomas who was... Who was, uh, who was um, Hesitant and doubting. Andrew was a people person. Judas just wanted to use people. And you see throughout the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus is constantly leading his people just a little differently. He knows which of his sheep need a little more correction, the whole get behind me, Satan, that he says to Peter. He knows when they need to be prodded along to be motivated, probably Thomas. He knows what we need. But we kind of forget the second part of this statement. And they know me. We love to be known because uh, that doesn't require anything of us. It doesn't require anything of us to be known by the all-knowing God. He knows everything without us trying. But for us to know him, that takes a little bit of effort takes a little bit of work takes some time getting into scripture into prayer into God's word with a small group hearing preaching hearing teaching all these different things so that we begin to understand who God is and that we know him in the same way he knows us because the reference he gives us the example he gives us he says that they I know them and they know me just as the father knows me And I know the father. Now that's just a little bit cheating because Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, one and three, three and one, we sing songs about it. Like they were one. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're gonna be my sheep and I'm your shepherd, you need to know me the same way that I know the father. And he gives us a way to do that. First Corinthians 6, 17. But he who is joined to the Lord, he who has raised their hand and said, yes, I am in, I believe, I trust you, you are my Savior, you are my Messiah, you lived a life I couldn't live to die a a death that I deserved and you didn't, but you're the substitute for me. I say yes, I'm joined to the Lord, becomes one spirit with him. We join into the same kind of relationship with Jesus that Jesus has with the Father. And he gives us the opportunity to know him, which I was praying about that and thinking about that this week. I think that's greater than being known. Because the God of the universe opens himself up and says, I want you to know everything about me. I want you to know me. And I I just keep thinking, I want to know when when Jesus stands up and when he sits down and when he lies down. I want to know Jesus' character, I want to know his heart. I want to know how he sees me and how he sees the world. And so I'm going to ask you, do you know his character? Do you know his love, his compassion, his kindness, his loving correction? I had to throw that one in there because I have to show you this picture. It's, one of, it's super famous. It's one of my favorites. It's a beautiful European Jesus. And we're just going to start there. I just I can't with European Jesus. I'm sorry. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. There were no long flowing locks. There were no blue eyes. There was no white skin. I make the joke all the time. Jesus would have been the guy to get randomly selected for searches every time he went through the airport. <laughs> but we'll we'll go with it. And we see Jesus holding his little lamb. The sweet, wonderful, caring Jesus. And I did a lot of research about shepherd and sheeps. Kind of became, sheeps? We'll go with it. Shepherd and plural of sheep, sheeps. Um, and <laughs> a little bit of an expert on shepherd and sheeps because I've, I'm going to say sheeps the rest of the day just so you don't know. Um, and I, I, a lot of messages on the good shepherd talk about the sheep and all the negative things and, and they are kind of dumb. And if you go to next steps, there's a whole section where you can talk about that. But I wanted to talk about the good shepherd, but I had to throw this one in because this is my favorite. This is my absolute favorite. So you know how the shepherd has his shepherd's staff. It's it's for keeping the sheep in line, keeping them in order. But if there was a lamb, a young one, children, pay attention. If there was a young one that kept wandering off, the good, kind, gentle, merciful Jesus, shepherd, would take that their staff, wham, break the sheep's leg. He's carrying that sheep, not because he's kind, but because he done did broke its leg. It cannot walk on its own. See how he's like holding its leg? He's like, I, I'm, I'm your splint, I got you. I broke your leg and I'm gonna carry you. And they would. Shepherds would do this to sheep that were unruly and out of hand and would not listen. Probably should have happened to me once or twice growing up. And so Jesus is carrying the sheep. The shepherd is carrying the sheep. And once that sheep's leg healed, it would never leave the shepherd's side no matter what. Because the sheep recognized, if he had left me, I am wolf food. Let's, let's take that for just a second. When God lovingly corrects you, it's not to hurt you. It's to get you right next to him so you recognize your need for him. Children with your parents, recognize your need for them. Because if they left you on your own, you are wolf food. And they carry you all the time without you ever knowing it. And Jesus is the same thing, and and he carries us, and he wants us to be carried by him, but sometimes, sometimes we are very independent, self-sufficient people. There's a great story in the Old Testament, Genesis 32, I believe. Jacob wrestles with God, and Jacob's wrestling, and he's wrestling all night, and and God's being super nice and not destroying him, because we recognize that, you know, someone out-wrestling God is a joke. And so, God is wrestling with Jacob and Jacob won't let go and won't relent because he's independent. He's self-sufficient. I'm going to earn my blessing. And eventually God goes, fine, I'm done. And like touches his hip and it pops out of place. And it says for the rest of his days, he walked with a limp. My question is, have you walked close enough to God to walk with a limp? To walk different than you did previous? that sometimes we need our self-sufficiency and our independence removed from us. Because our job, our role is to follow. In the good shepherd story, we are the sheep. Our job is to follow and that's just what Jesus did. John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. We've kind of got, I I see this a lot, that we've we've taken this idea that Christian maturity is, is to gain more independence. Where truly Christian maturity is a greater recognition that I am completely useless without Jesus. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, hey, gentlemen, just so you know, apart from me, you can't do anything. And we're all like, yeah, that's not true. Absolutely it is. Apart from Jesus, I'm a complete train wreck. And sometimes with Jesus, I'm a little bit of a train wreck too. But my job is to follow. And that's it. And he continues on and he says that he has other sheep. He he says, I have other sheep not of this fold. And he's making this giant theological transition. Because the fold that he's talking about was Judaism, were the Jews, God's people, God's chosen people. God only had one group of people that were his own. And here he's saying that it's going to be turned upside down. And, and don't worry, if you, if you hear a message or read something in scripture and you, and you don't catch what it means, you're in good company because no one caught this. No one understood this. Even after the resurrection, it was multiple years before Peter ever went into a Gentile's house. Because Jewish law said that they couldn't go into Gentile's houses and he completely missed that Jesus was like, hey these are my people, but actually these are my people and I'm gonna bring them all in. He was doing something globally that had never been done before. He was creating a multi-ethnic, multi-generational melting pot of God's family and he's still doing the same today. I re- I've, I've read this, this multiple times this week, which I don't think is, is a coincidence, that Sunday morning... Between 9 a.m. and noon is the most segregated time in the United States. Church. Church is the most segregated place in the United States. And I think, I think, God's not super happy about that. John 3.16, which is the summary of John's Gospels. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now we have to be careful. I have to be careful when I start talking about God loving the world because the blood of Jesus, the death, the resurrection, the salvation of Jesus is sufficient for all people. But it's only efficient for those who believe his sheep. So this morning, if if you've never joined with Jesus, you've never said, yes, the blood of Jesus, the salvation is sufficient. It's available for you. But it only works if you become one of his sheep. And Jesus is making this huge huge statement. And we sing songs about this. They're a little racist, but they're kids' songs we teach. Jesus loves the little children. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. It's a little racist. It's okay. Don't don't refer to people as red, yellow, black, and white, please. Um, But we teach our children that song because there's truth in it. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. And my question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that, that Jesus may be saying that to us today, that there are people not of your fold that I'm going to continue to bring into your fold? They don't look, think, or act like you. But they're going to come join you because I'm awakening their heart. I'm bringing truth to them. And you can throw in whatever category of people that you struggle with, because we all have them. Don't Let's just be honest. We all have that one group of people that if if a group of them came to church, we'd be a little. Ugh. I don't need to define all of them for you. You know what I'm talking about. And my question this morning, and I've been questioning myself this all week, and I've been praying through this and repenting a lot this week. Am I if if that happened, would I respond like Jesus, welcoming, loving, or would I be the Pharisees and would be offended? that someone who did not look, think, act, or believe like me was coming into my church. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They said, no, 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 we are God's people. That is it. Nobody else. We are an elite club. And that's what the Pharisees were promoting, and Jesus fought against that all the time. He fought against this closed group. He said, no, 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 no. That, That gate that we're talking about, it's open to everyone. Last week, Jesus being the gate, that's open to all people. All can enter. And then finally, he tells us that he lays down his life. And he lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, than for a man to lay down his life for his brothers. And, and just so we recognize, no one killed Jesus He didn't die as a martyr for his faith. He died as a substitute. He gave himself up willingly. That's why it says, I lay down my life. It's not that something came and bested Jesus. It's that when the time came, when he was doing only what he saw the father do, when he was in the garden sweating blood because he was so scared of what was about to happen, he said, not my will, but yours. And he laid down his life so that his sheep could be protected. And in verse 12 of John 10, it talks about the wolf, the wolf coming. The wolf is a representation of sin and death. And here in the next few weeks, we're gonna celebrate Holy Week for the church, which is Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter. And on that, on that time, on Good Friday, when Jesus was hanging on that cross and eventually gave up his life, and his life expired, the enemy, the wolf sin and death thought it had won because he struck the shepherd and the sheep scattered when Jesus was in the tomb his guys went away they weren't sitting in it (laughs) there were no believers when Jesus died and I make this joke every year and I'll continue to make it because it's one of my favorite Christian jokes ever there was we know this because there was no one on Sunday morning Easter morning going three Two, one, hi Jesus. Nobody. They scattered. Death had happened. The shepherd was gone. They scattered. And for a couple days, the enemy thought that he had won, but he forgot the second half of the verse. That I may pick it up again. He has the authority to willingly lay down his life. But then he chose to pick it back up again because we were scattered. And we're still scattered. And he's still bringing us back together. That's what he did once he resurrected he went to all his sheep and said, Come on, I'm back. Come on, I'm back. And he went to Thomas to the whole hands and side thing. And he's like, Come, come with me. We're back together. And he brought all of his sheep back together. And this is why he's the good shepherd. This is why he is the good shepherd that is worth following. Because his death didn't just happen, he predicted it over and over and over, and even predicted that, hey, I'm going to die, then three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. And let's be honest, if someone predicts their own death and resurrection, we should probably give what he's saying a try. Just a thought. And so this morning, that's what I'm going to challenge you with, is, is are we following the good shepherd or are we following people? Because that's one of the things sheep do. They have really poor eyesight, and so they tend to just follow who's right in front of them. Are we close enough where we can see the shepherd? Are we close enough where we can hear his voice? Are we following him the way that he's asked us to? Because if not, we get lost, and, and when we get lost, we are in deep, deep trouble. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Acts two one. Where they were gathered together, all the sheep that had scattered once Jesus died. Once he resurrected, he grabbed them all back together. And they were together with one accord, which means with one purpose, and power came. The Holy Spirit came to them. And it challenges me every time I read that, what would happen if this church body, if churches in Harrisonville became of one accord with one purpose, to be the sheep that follow the shepherd and make sure that everyone else knows how great the shepherd is. What kind of power would come in us? What would the Holy Spirit do within each of us individually and all of us corporately if we followed the shepherd and became one and were one accord, united with one purpose, moving forward to see the sick healed, to see those who are in bondage set free, to see the captives set free, to see people come to know who the shepherd is, who Jesus is, and how good he is. Just a few verses later, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Which when we talk about eternal life, remember it's not a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. And they will never perish. That wolf that keeps howling at you, that of sin and death, the enemy that keeps coming around, Cannot hurt you. He is a defeated enemy. He's a dog on a leash that looks real bad and barks real loud. And if you get close enough, he'll bite you, which is what we do all the time. If we just, ta da! We cannot be attacked by the enemy. We will not perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's some good news this morning. I don't know who I'm talking to, but someone needs to hear I, all morning. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Once you are his, and he says, he says the, the, the hired hands leave because they're, they're not they're, the sheep don't belong to him. The good shepherd says those are my sheep. I bought them. And I paid a price that no one else is willing to pay. I shed my blood for those sheep. And that's so cool. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the sheep died for the shepherd. We sacrifice sheep over and over. The Jews sacrifice sheep over and over. And in the New Testament, there's one lamb, Jesus, who the shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep so that we never have to again. And that we can just follow. We can just follow and never be snatched away ever. Nothing will snatch you away from God. So my question this morning is, do you hear the good shepherd? Do you hear him this morning? Has it been a while maybe since you've heard him? Do you hear him when you open scripture? Do you hear him when we sing worship songs? Do you hear him when the temperature gets above 60 degrees? I do, I do. Do you hear him when you look at a, a, a child? do you hear him? when you see a married couple that's been married for 60, 70 years? Do you hear him? Because it says, multiple times in John 10, "The sheep will hear my voice and they will know me." Do you hear him saying, "Come, come to me, come to me." You look really tired. You, you, look, you look kind of exhausted. I think you've been carrying things that, that aren't yours. Let me, here, you lie down over here. I'll take care of everything. You just rest. Just be at peace. Don't work, don't strive, don't try and prove your worth. You're my sheep, I love you. Just lay down, I got you. And all that stuff that you were carrying here, let, let me take that. I wanna give you my yoke, my burden, it's light. It's light, it's really easy to carry. It doesn't? It's not a struggle. And then when you get up, I want you to go and and have a great life. I want to give you eternal life, life and life more abundantly. I want you to live in a way that is so amazing. Maybe this morning you hear, hey, stop. Stop doing that. That's not good for you. That's leading you away from everyone because that's what the enemy wants to do is to lead you away. Because when you're isolated, then he can attack you and then he can hurt you. A sheep with a flock is much better protected than a sheep by itself. Maybe this morning he's saying, stop, stop. Don't do that anymore. That hurts you. Maybe he's saying, hey, you, you too, you too. Forgive each other. Forgive each other. Say you're sorry. Own your mistake. Forgive each other. It's not, there, your time on earth is so short, it's not worth the energy of... of holding bitterness to each other forgive maybe it's simply I love you maybe this morning you need to hear the good shepherd just saying I love you and you're like yeah but I got lost again yesterday I know I love you yeah but I got stuck in the mud again yesterday yeah I know I love you but I wandered off for the 400th time in two days I I know I, I was the one who carried you home I love you I love you. I don't think we accept that from God nearly enough. Do you hear the good shepherd saying, I love you? Or you're mine. You're mine. I love you exactly how you are. You're mine. I created you. You're mine. And then the I'll never leave you that one to me is really powerful because I know myself and how many times I'm that dumb sheep that gets lost and gets stuck and causes the shepherd to do so much more work than he ever should have had to do and every single time Jesus I'm not going to leave you I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. But Jesus, I've sinned so much. I I know. I don't deserve you. you. You don't. But I choose you. I want you. I love you. And the last one, follow me. Follow me, stop following the news, stop following politics, stop following this, stop following money, stop following people, stop following all these things, just follow me. Because I can do more than you could ever ask, think or imagine. I'll lead you into a life that is more exciting than you could have ever imagined life could be. I'll lead you into a life where you will see people's eternity changed. I will, you follow me, sheep, and I will lead you to where you will see revival happen in your homes, revival happen in your communities that I will move when you follow me. But we get so busy following all sorts of other things. We pick the wrong suburban to follow. We end up in places we never intended to be instead of following the Good Shepherd to life, to freedom, to the defeat of sin and death, follow him into being his voice to the nations or maybe to your neighbor. When we follow the Good Shepherd, we live a life that is envious of so many people because he is good and he is worth following.